Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Beatriz Jepes, and I'm here with Kino McGregor. And we are going to be talking to her about mastering the wellness entrepreneur journey. I know that Kino doesn't need any introduction, but I thought it was a good idea just to go through some of her biggest success. <laughs> so Kino is an international yoga teacher. She's an inspirational speaker. She's the author of four books, producer of six Ashtanga yoga DVDs, writer, blogger, world traveler, and my personal inspiration and teacher. <laughs> um, Kino will be teaching on November 3rd to 5th, uh, her first ever training for wellness professionals, the spiritual hustle. Welcome Kino. Thanks, Beatrice. It's super wonderful to be here. As the founder of OMSTARS, I know firsthand what it takes to have an idea come to your mind that you think will be of benefit to the world, rooted in spiritual intention, and then need to go through the process of making it real. Not only did I go through this process of bringing OMSTARS into the world, but as you know, my husband and I have the experience of running a yoga center from the beginning moment moments um, up to its contemporary flourishing days, including all the particularities that you never think of when your intention to start a business is to bring something of benefit into the world. There's something here that I think most people don't know about you. You hold an MA from New York University and an ABA from University of Miami, mm -hmm. and you're also the founder of OMSTARS, co-founder of Miami Life Center and Miami Yoga Garage. Yeah. And like you ran a successful business for several <laughs> years now. So how did you came to this point? Tell um, us about a little bit about your background mm. and your journey up mm. until this point. Well, you know what, in retrospect, in, in retrospect, I kind of feel like maybe this was exactly what I was meant to do because... I, if I look at my family, my mom is a successful female entrepreneur and she's a real big inspiration to me. So 
I never thought that I was going to work in business. In fact, I never really knew what I wanted to do. My parents really encouraged me to just continue to get education. So this is why I continued to seek a postgraduate degree at New York University. I didn't really know what I wanted to study, but I really like this concept of interdisciplinary studies, which is what my postgraduate degree is in. And it really fostered critical thinking across multiple disciplines, which I think gave me really good tools to be able to kind of straddle the seemingly contradictory world of business and the spiritual path. My mom, after working um, very, very strongly in numerous positions, she was uh, an organizer for the teachers union for the southeast portion of the United States. She was a, an insurance professional in Prudential. Uh, in both of those two businesses, she hit the proverbial glass ceiling, uh, and she couldn't rise any higher being both um, a minority and a woman, she felt like every time there was a, a, a series of promotions to the next level, it she was constantly being passed up, even though she was the top performer in her field in every possible key performing metric that could really be able to determine, is she the right person? Except she didn't have the right skin color and she wasn't the right gender. So she decided to start her own business. And she it was it, being her own boss, let her completely flourish. So that's why I say I feel like maybe this was something I was really, really meant to do, even though it was never my intention. I feel like what really led me into the world of building a bridge between the spiritual path, which has really led me to find the tools to live a more peaceful life, and bringing that message into the world through successful business structures really comes from the need. There was a need in the community in Miami for more people to be able to have access to these tools. So there was the feeling of, well, gosh, there are people who could benefit if we could create a space where they could come and participate in the authentic experience of yoga. So that need created the sort of calling to find a location. And I'll be honest with you, I really didn't know enough I really wish that my degree had been in business, but instead I learned through trial and error. And I relied a lot on the experience that my mom has in her business and sought her as kind of an advisor when we were setting everything up. And in the same way that that need was there when we looked at, you know, more than 20 years ago, the community of potential spiritual practitioners here in Miami, the same need was sort of demonstrated in the online space, people who really wanted the authentic tools of the spiritual practice, but didn't have access to a teacher nearby. So there was a need to be able to kind of disseminate these pieces of, uh, of true wisdom of the lineage in a sort of really pioneering way. And I feel like those needs led to the uh, kind of, you know, architecture of the business structures. And then, then of course, I had to do my due diligence about what it means to actually set up a functioning business. And there's a big difference when you take a look at, you know, what type of business you want to create. There's a whole host of different structures that will set that business up for success. And so it's very, very useful to kind of do the research to think about not only what is the dream, but what will the dream look like once it's lived? Because some people have an idea of what a dream may be like, but 
in order to really embrace your dream in the world, you have to be okay with what it's not even okay with. You have to be willing to be excited about the mundane aspects of it. You have to be willing to find your inspiration to go into places that uh, that you may not be knowledgeable about and learn about them and find the way to understand, look, if I want this to succeed, I'm going to have to embrace the totality of what it takes to succeed. Excellent. Besides all these needs that you identified and your family history and so forth, what are your main habits that you like cultivated that lead you to where you are right now? Well, I think one of the most important habits, and a habit is something you do every day, is to spend the first portion of your day creating the mindset that you want to carry with you throughout the day. It's so easy to, first thing in the morning, get carried away with whatever the particularities are of the life that's around you, whether that's reading the news or interacting with friends or family members or just going through the same ordinary routine. So one of the most important habits that I have is to spend the morning time in the time before I'm doing my meditation or the time during my meditation, the time during my practice, immediately after my practice, creating a kind of mindset that will allow me to learn and allow me to grow throughout the day. And that is one of the things that many people waste in regards to their time because they immediately start to open their phone and then their urgencies, there's messages that come in and notifications that come in. And if we don't have the discipline of mind to kind of carve out those early morning hours for ourselves, then we can get carried away kind of in the momentum of what's around us. And I think to truly be successful, we need to be kind of conscious creators of what type of thoughts we're thinking, what type of energy and emotion we're bringing to a situation and be kind of keenly self-aware of how that plays out moment to moment, whether it's in a meeting, whether it's in an idea session, whether it's in a research session, or whether it's in any kind of activity that we place ourselves in throughout the day. So that, I think, is the first habit. The second habit that I would say is it has, has really led me into um, working up towards what I believe is a, is a, are, you know, multiple successful businesses is creating relationships with people who can lift you up. So we could call this kind of building a team and a team doesn't need to be someone that, you know, is employed by you or that you're employed by, but a team, and it can be, but a team of people that you can reach out to, whether these are trusted advisors or people that you consider friends or people that are just inspirational to you that are that are within your your sort of circle of what you could call friends or close acquaintances. And it's important to have a kind of inspirational team of people whose accomplishments, whether they're in your field or outside of your field, really inspire you and lift you up so that it's almost like a board of advisors or a board of directors that you can kind of have nearby and you can sort of ping pong ideas about. And just by talking to them, seeing what they're doing, you'll get ideas and and, and, and kind of creating this synergy. It's really, you know, there's, there's, um, there's this idea that we're the sum total of the five people we spend the most time with. So if we don't choose those people well, what I find is that there will be people that are attracted to you because you will lift them up. But at some moment, it's really important that you have people that lift you up as well. So it's more of a two-way street. Otherwise, you end up kind of carrying the people that are around you. And if you're trying to run a successful business and, and, and really elevate and advance and kind of solve those riddles that 
that keep a business growing over many years, then you want to be around people that 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 kind of have similar potentialities. I, I think there is a, st- a statistic that said that you know the majority of businesses fail within the first couple of years. So if you have a business that's been running for more than ten years, you're already in a minority. If you have a business that has been running for more than twenty years, you're in a very very elite group of of business professionals that's been able to actualize a dream and, and, and keep it going over the long haul. Then there are other businesses. If we look at, if we look at, you know, what it takes to actually create a certain amount of, 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 of ongoing revenue, then again, we look at a very small percentage of businesses that actually reach a sustainable revenue level so, so that, so that it can support growth. So we're thinking about, you know, who are the people that are in our lives that can create a synergy to be inspirational. And I think that, that that's a really important thing to think about because I noticed that sometimes sometimes people think that networking is transactional. You know, you, and this happens to me sometimes. Someone will come up to me and say, hey, nice to meet you. And within 30 seconds, they're asking me to endorse something or they're asking me if I can be a partner with them in something or if my business can help out their business in some way. And I don't mean that at all. I mean finding people who you can consider a friend that are truly inspirational, that you'll never ask them for anything. But by the mere fact of talking to them about what you're doing, there'll be a natural kind of, you know, multiplication of ideas and you'll do the same thing for them. You just mentioned the importance of having inspirational people around you. Where do you look for inspiration or who are your role models or mentors? Mm, So I think in terms of inspiration, there's a couple of ways that we can do this. You can think on the personal level of who's an inspiring human being that you want to draw from. And I think that every single person, you can look around or even think for a moment of someone who treats other people really well in your life right now. And that's someone that you could think of as inspiring. And it can be, you know, it could be a friend, a family member, it can be a loved one, it can be someone you only kind of speak to remotely, a teacher, something like that. So I think those personal contacts of how people respond to challenge and difficulty are very, very important. So I have a few key people that I've really seen them, you know, um, excel at really keeping a heart of compassion in moments of difficulty. And I found that really, really inspirational. The other thing that I, I find can be really useful is say you're in a, a situation where maybe all the people around you aren't insp- inspiring. Maybe you're in a situation where you're frustrated by your life circumstance and you're, you really want to create something to maybe lift yourself out of a cycle that isn't working for you. Well, then you don't need to look to your peer, you know, your, your, your close peers for inspiration then. So what I'd recommend then is research business leaders whose life you find interesting and read their biographies. Read not only the books that they've written, read every book that they've written, but also read their biographies. So if you think, wow, I, I, you know, I'm this person and I have this idea, find someone who fits a little bit that model. Even if you feel like it's unrealistic and you're reaching for the stars, it doesn't matter. There'll be something in reading that person's writing or that person's biography that you'll be able to kind of draw a little bit of inspiration. Oh, this person, that's great. It doesn't have to be a business leader. It could be, you know, a social activist. It could be, you know, a former president 
president, a political leader. It could be, you know, environmentalist or an actor, an actress or something like this. We could find someone whose life story inspires us and really can, can lift us up. It can be someone from our contemporary age or someone from an ancient time, a long time ago. These inspiring stories really give us the extra momentum to kind of create meaning out of difficulty and also help us think outside the box. Excellent. Uh, you mentioned about frustration and challenges and how important are inspirational people to those times. In your career, have you faced those challenges? What were those and how did you overcome them? I felt I've faced so many challenges that I, I think I've probably lost track of them by now, you know. Um, I feel like nothing's really been, you know, like snap the fingers and, and have it be easy, nor do I think it should be. And this is something that I feel like Many people, when they're thinking about launching a business or, 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 or starting a business, they have the idea that they're just going to, like their life is going to be a vacation because they're going to do what they love all the time and say you love yoga and you want to open a yoga center and then, wow, I'm just going to be immersed in yoga. And you're like, wait a minute, actually there's a lot more. There's cleaning, there's admin, there's you know bookkeeping that has to be done, there's marketing that has to be done. There's a whole host of things that actually need to get done to create a successful business. So I think that the first first challenge I would say that I faced even before I thought about opening a yoga center or creating Om Stars was that as a yoga teacher and so Well, let's preface this by understanding that every yoga teacher is running a personal brand and a personal business. So if we're out there and you're teaching, you are in essence running a business, uh, the business of you. And so that's important to understand that not everybody is going to open up a structure where you'll have multiple people who are working for you. In fact, I talk to a lot of people, whether yoga teachers, massage therapists, or you know other wellness professionals, that maybe they were so excellent at their field that they ultimately opened up a center, Created training programs, started training people. And I talked to a lot of these individuals who closed their business and said, you know what? I just want to do my profession. This is what I love. I'm a massage therapist and I just want to work with people on a one-on-one -on -one level. I'm a yoga teacher. I just want to teach classes. And then they don't want to run the bigger architecture of the business. And that's okay too. So when I was first starting in the business of being Kino McGregor yoga teacher, nobody was interested in having me teach. And, and this is something that was really challenging. I remember being really frustrated and thinking, gosh, no one really wants me to teach. And I'd created, this was like before you had your website and before you had your Instagram where we still need, we had like a resume and recommendation letters. So I had this resume and these recommendation letters and I, you know, showed up at around Miami, I showed up at various spas and yoga centers and gyms, and I proposed myself as a yoga teacher of the traditional Ashtanga yoga method. And people looked at me like I was from another planet, and they just were like, we're not interested in that. Can you do like a power flow? And I thought, no, I teach Ashtanga yoga. Um, this is what I'm going to teach. And this is, you know, really the only thing I'm qualified to teach. So I'm really sorry. And they said, well, what kind of music do you put on? Well, I don't put on any music. And then there were many people that said, oh, we'll take your information, which means no, thank you in a very polite manner. And I kept on I kept on just facing that rejection over and over again. And there were a couple of things I think that were important. Number one, rejection 
over and over again, being willing to just take that, uh, well, you know, we'll get back to you. No, thanks. Oh, we don't have an opening now. Oh, no, thank you. And then keep applying and then go back to that same place three months later and say, hey, do you have an opening now? Remember me? I teach that traditional Ashtanga yoga. Maybe they had a managerial change. Maybe they lost the teacher. Maybe somebody moved. And, and not having the pride to think, you know, I'm better than this. They should contact me. I had, I feel I had very little pride when I was first starting in that way. And I kept on sort of coming back. And if there was a yoga center that I was interested in, the most important thing that I think I did at that time was show up and practice in whatever Ashtanga yoga class they had to make myself a part of the community. So that then if that teacher needed a substitute, well, I was there. Okay. So then I was a natural person that they would contact. Very, I think it took a couple of months, but very quickly I had a sort of problem of my success, which is something that is really important for all individual contractors working in the wellness space, whether you're, you know, a coach or an esthetician or you provide some kind of personal one-on-one service, is that I suddenly had too many classes. So all those places that said no, and I kept pursuing, I kept persevering, finally they said yes. And then, you know, one of the most, uh, at that time, one of the most prestigious spas in Miami said yes. I had to do a three-day corporate training, um, which was totally irrelevant to what I was doing, but not totally irrelevant. I would say 90% irrelevant to what I was doing. Um, and, and, and then so I was doing that. And then, and, and then, and then suddenly I had classes every single day of the week. And I was driving around, going here and there and here and there, being completely exhausted. So I had this problem then of succeeding at overcoming my first challenge and failure, which was absolute rejection. Then suddenly I had too many classes, too many privates, too many classes, this spa, this gym, all these people who were contacting me all the time. And I got really, really burned out. But I remember thinking my goal was to go to India for six months, and I have a ticket, so I will just teach everything until I get on that airplane. And so I just did, I knew I was going to be gone for six months. I knew I was going to close the door on everything. So I, you know, uh, just basically taught until I dropped onto the airplane and then fell asleep on the airplane and, you know, landed in India. And I definitely worked in another way while I was there. (laughs) Excellent. Um, Specifically for yoga and for Ashtanga and in general for all wellness industry, there's this question about business and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the biggest challenges everyone faces because there's this question, if I'm a spiritual, should I also be profitable? Mm-hmm. Or how do I mix these two concepts? Mm-hmm. Uh, how d- did you find any challenges in this sense? If so, like... How did you, like, overcame this Mm. and understood or mixed the two Mm -hmm. in your specific? Well, first of all, rather than thinking of this dichotomy as kind of like a one-and-done kind of question, I think it's important that it's an ongoing dialogue that's ever-present in the mind of anyone trying to straddle the space between business and spirituality. Because in truth, you know, there are, there are, you know, many statements from many spiritual paths that indicate that, well, gosh, you know, these two actually just don't mix. So there's, you know, the the statement from Jesus that said, you know, it's going to be easy easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than, you know, a a rich person to get into heaven. And you think, well, gosh, 
maybe so I should give all my money away and I should not be a success and I should live in poverty, you know. And then and then there's this uh, there's this idea from you know the, the 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 yogic tradition that there shouldn't be payment accepted for certain types of yogic teachings. So and what this means is that there shouldn't be a price set to the teachings, but it never it never actually meant that the student shouldn't give something as an exchange for receiving that teaching, especially if your teacher is living in the world. So, for example, um, we have some teachers in India that teach the Vedas, and specifically when they're teaching the Vedas, uh, they won't set a dollar amount on their teachings. But when they go into, say, a different setting and they'll teach some other, uh, you know, philosophy, like, for example, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, then there's like a set course fee, and then that's what we pay, and it's this much per day, and this is very, very clear. But this, there are many teachers that won't take specific payment when they teach the Vedas, but it is expected that there's some sort of donation that is made. That donation can be monetary, but it can also be in kind. It can be, you know, food or flowers or service or something like that. So it's important to remember that, because often what would happen when... I started working in the business of yoga and actually succeeding in the business of yoga is people would come up to me and say, yoga should be free. How dare you profit off of yoga? Yoga should be free. Yoga is for everyone and yoga should be free. And I thought, well, gosh, could you tell my landlord that? I would really like if my landlord would get on this yoga is for free thing. And I'd also like if the phone company and the electric company and the water company and the internet company and, and the taxes and the, you know, the, 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 the local real, the local real estate tax and business tax, if we could all tell them that actually this is all free, then I'd be totally fine. And also if someone could tell, you know, my, my, you know, my mortgage and all of those bills and understand, oh, I'm just living, but wait a minute. Who actually said yoga should be free? Let's take a look at that. Within the world of, of specifically of yoga, there are two paths for the yogi. There's the renunciate yogi who takes vows of the monastic vows. And then there are yogis who exist in the world, which is traditionally called the householder path. And the householder is allowed to and, and should make a sustainable income off of whatever is their livelihood. Now that livelihood should follow yogic values. So that means that the success of the business has to be washed up against what Whatever yogic values are present or not present, and that determines the success of the business. So, in other words, money is not the god of the, the yoga business. There are, or money is not the god of spiritual business. Whatever ethics are at the heart of the spiritual path, that will always take precedence over maximization of, of, of you know, of corporate profits. And in this way, I kind of think of integrating the business of spirituality with, you know, or integrating business with spirituality as kind of an update to. Uh, kind of, you know, rampant, unchecked capitalism. And in this way, we can think about, well, gosh, we do live in a capitalist world, and there do needs to be some sort of profitability, but profitability should not come at the expense of the, um, you know, at the expense of our morals, at the expense of our ethics. So to have some sort of a check is very, very important. To have some sort of, you know, um, guidelines to say, well, I'm going to constantly check in with this. Is this aligned with yogic values? Is this out of line with yogic values? Is this is this aligned with, you know, the spiritual path or is this outside of the spiritual path? And this is the reason why practice is the foundation of running some, a successful spiritually oriented business because it's your practice, whether it's a meditation practice 
a yoga practice, a Qigong practice, whatever your practice is, you will constantly be reminded of the morality of that framework. So when you come back to your practice, if you're in violation of that, it's going to surface in your practice. It's going to be a thought, oh, I shouldn't have spoken like that to this person. Oh, actually, you know, I think we're, I think we're not paying that person a fair wage. Well, as soon as we get a little bit more money, let's see if we can redistribute that. So those ethics will always, always, I feel, be present. So now if we go back to, you know, um, your running a yoga business, you shouldn't be profitable. I, I, I think that that I think that that very concept is perhaps outside of yogic principles in and of itself, because profitability needs to be there in order to allow anything to grow. So if we start a business and we're not profitable, well, then that business will close. So whatever people were partaking in those yoga classes, well, then they're not going to, you know, continue to benefit. And if that, if you're an individual and you're a yoga teacher and you're serving your community, but you're not able to pay your bills, sooner or later, you're going to take another job. And all those people who are benefiting from your class, they no longer benefit. So we have to be real and say a certain level of profitability is absolutely necessary. And furthermore, I would even say that it is almost a service to have people working in business that can actually use spirituality as a framework for a successful business. For example, if we can run a business that is really, really rooted in a strong ethical framework, then People think that, oh, well, gosh, it'll never succeed. The opposite is actually true. There are more and more studies done that when we infuse wellness into uh, any sort of corporate structure, when we infuse ethics into a corporate structure, then when we infuse spirituality into a corporate structure, then people are inspired by what they're doing. They have more meaning. And actually, there's an increase in productivity. There's an, there's an increase in profitability, which then allows the company to reinvest in some of the key the key benefits that will actually serve not only you know the people the students the people who are coming into that space but also the the you know the people that are working in that space i think it's a really it's a really interesting concept but it's a constant conversation just like you know, the teacher-student relationship is a constant conversation. I almost feel like this is the yin and the yang that are in constant kind of flux. And if we have too much of one, then it's at the expense of the other. If we have too much of the other, it's expense of the other one. So in this way, I actually think it's a really, really good, um, you could say, synergy that stands in contrast to, you know, almost like unchecked capitalism, which is rampant everywhere you look throughout the throughout our planet right now, creating a whole host of, you know, really, really deleterious effects on the planet and, and on other human beings. Yeah, completely. You touch base on guidelines, the importance of ethics and so forth. Um, are there any ideas, guidelines or advice that you wish you had received when you were just starting? Mm, I mean, there's, there, there's, there, there's so many. I mean, I think one of the first things is uh, to really understand that success doesn't mean that you're going to be number one. You know, particularly in the United States, where, you know, raised from the very beginning, it's like, go get it. You're going to be the best. You're going to be number one. That's awesome. Strive to be the best. And we kind of all vie for that number one spot. And I think we want to redefine what success is in terms of business. Like, maybe you're never going to be number one in whatever is your category. You're not going to, maybe you're never going to be number one Google review of, you know, esthetician in your community. Maybe you're never going to be number one 
one massage therapist. And that's okay. You know, we have to understand that that might not be what success is for you. Maybe success is having enough money to sustain your life, what life makes you happy. Maybe success is the few clients that you work with that really create meaning in your life and really help you grow as an individual. So we wanted to find, redefine success and, 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 try to, and try to make success not be about just constantly fighting for that number one, that number one slot. Because what that does is it creates this scarcity mindset as though there's only one success. There's only number, there's only one slot and everyone else is a failure. And that's not, that's not actually true, you know? So like, let's say you work really, really hard and out of a hundred yoga studios that are, you know, that are in your community, you're actually, say you're number 15 on the list. That's really good. You can make a successful life out of that. You can help your community. You can help others. Um, you can lift up other teachers that would be working in your community and other people that would be, you know, um, kind of in that flourishing um, space. But if you think of yourself as a failure and you think of yourself as against all of those who are number one to 14, then this is going to create a, a, a really kind of, um, you know, a thinking that actually goes against the inclusivity that really is at the heart of the spiritual path. The other thing that I think is a really important lesson that's took me, taken me a really long time to learn is about personalization. And I feel like if we personalize all business decisions, then our boundaries get really, really blurry and we become really unhealthy. So we start thinking of our friends as potential price tags and commodities when in actuality, uh, we really want to have very, very healthy boundaries. If someone says no to you, don't take it personally. If you need to say no to someone, try to do it as, as, as compassionately as possible, but try not to make it personal. Some people would set up some, some people even set up really clear guidelines of not working with particular friends um, or family, for example. And if those boundaries can help you succeed and actually really set up healthy lines between professional and personal, I think that's a really good, a really good piece of advice that I wish I had from the beginning. And now that we are looking into the past, is there anything that you have done that you wish you've done differently? Mm, yeah, I think that um, if I could set it up all over again, there will probably be a few key choices that I made that if I were to go back in retrospect, I would have just made them with a little more intelligence. And if I look back, it's every decision I made that came without humility, every decision that I made that was grounded in the belief that I didn't need a team, I didn't need a community, I didn't need a check of some type. Those moments I felt my ego took over. And if I could go back, there were a few key moments that I would have just involved more people and involved more community. And I've learned from that, you know? And I feel like actually what happens is don't think that whatever struggles you face when you're setting up your business are not going to come back. In fact, the struggles repeat. It's not like, again, oh, I did that. I never face it again. But instead, you can learn. And then when that struggle comes back a second time, it's almost like you can demonstrate your performance at this. Here's an example. When Tim and I first opened Miami Life Center, we thought we could handle so much of the material 
uh, function of the build-out and the construction ourselves. And it took us stumbling over things like filing permits and seeking special permission from various departments of the permitting department to realize we needed to hire a professional permit runner. And then there were all of these things like that that, well, gosh, we learned from that. So then when we built this new space, we immediately sought out a permit runner as well as a whole team of highly professional people that we knew had the skill set that we didn't have in order to be able to succeed. So I guess if we go back to hubris, the core of that lesson is don't think you can do it all yourself. Don't take it all on yourself. Instead, think about what is the skill sets that I have that I excel at? What are the skill sets that I'm truly lacking that I won't be able to succeed even if I give it my best shot? And then find people that you can either hire, pay for their time, or in some other way compensate so that they can be part of the team that will bring you success. Excellent. Um, are there any, like you just mentioned, the lessons you learned, but besides those experiences and lessons, are there any theories or books or ideas that have helped you achieve your goals? Mm. I, I feel like when we think about business, Growth is one of the biggest questions that we're constantly faced with. You know, there are these questions of, I want to succeed, I want to constantly grow, I want more, I want more. So I feel like this philosophy of more is one of the biggest things that I've had to challenge and deconstruct. Because the philosophy of more is based in this idea that who you are and what you're doing right now is not enough. And it may, on some level, we may not be bringing enough in enough revenue, but it doesn't mean that who we are and what we're doing doesn't have value. So I feel like rather than focusing on, I need more, I need more, which is operating from this paradigm of thinking that in some way I'm lacking, in some ways I'm not enough, in some ways I'm not good enough, we need to change that whole paradigm and instead operate from the paradigm of how can I serve? How can I serve? What's needed right now? There's one person that's here. Yeah, this one person in this class, maybe they were even on a free pass and they came in. It's not going to pay the bills today, but they're here. How can I serve? How can I serve? This individual is here. How can I serve this this person? Say you're you're you know say we're working in 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 any other you know in any wellness professional. Uh, the idea of wellness is to create a space where people can find themselves. Uh, to create a space where people can heal. And then the idea is that in that space that if it's successful, then naturally it will grow. So we have to kind of come back to resting on the idea of service. And if we can come back to that idea, that's a strong counterpoint to this idea of just accumulating more, more, more. More is not always better. Sometimes having more students, more clients, more space means you just have more. It doesn't mean you're serving better. So I feel like this question of, you know, uh, a particular philosophy is, is really a, a changing the paradigm from, um, you know, the, 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 the hunger and the quest, the insatiable quest for more into the grounded space of service. And if you can really do that, I feel like this kind of changes your box and you think, well, what's needed right now? So in the beginning, one of the things that I would do is I would think about, well, what's cool for me? What do I like to do? And that's very egocentric and total. And, and in some ways, we, we still want to enjoy what we're doing. But my paradigm slowly changed into, rather than thinking about, well, what's cool for me, thinking about what did the student actually need? 
What does the community actually need? What what will help the community flourish? You know, what would keep so for me, I, you know, I work in, in, in yoga, meditation, I want people to find a spiritual practice. I'm constantly thinking, you're a spiritual practitioner, what are you missing? What do you need? You know, if I'm going, if I'm teaching someone and I want to make sure that they have the tools to continue on their journey when they're no longer in my presence. I don't want them to have this experience where they're just inspired in that moment that they see me. I want to give them real tools that they're going to be able to take home and continue to, you know, flourish on their own. Excellent. I feel that you have given like already like kernels of wisdom and advice throughout the talk, but what advice, what specific advice would you give someone who is planning to start their own wellness business? Mm, So I think perhaps the first piece of advice that I would give anyone trying, thinking about starting their own wellness business is write a business plan and be, and kind of create the worst case scenario business plan because I feel like what can often happen is we live in the best case scenario of business plan. When we wrote our business plan for Miami Life Center, I wrote the best case scenario of business plan. And it was like, this is going to be awesome. There are all these people. They're going to come. It's going to multiply. It's going to grow so fast. And then we got there. And then for the first year, you know, there were numerous classes that no one showed up. You know, and then there, and then there was even, I remember one class that I had called a friend of mine that, that, you know, that I knew before I ever started doing yoga. And I asked her, please come, you know, to class today. And she was the only one that showed up. And the class lasted about 10 minutes because she, you know, jumped forward um, from one of the, I think, Surya Namaskar B and looked at me and said, yeah, this is like really hard. Uh, you didn't tell me this was going to be so hard. And she, had a, she was sweating, sweat was rolling down her nose. And she looked at me and said, yeah, can we just go get a coffee instead? And then I just said, sure. So (laughs) I feel like that wasn't really in my business plan. So I feel like when you write a business plan, plan for your worst case scenario. And, And then look at that and say, well, will I be able to accept this? Worst case scenario. And if you can, if you can accept your worst case scenario, continue. If you can't, there need to be some fail safes that are in there. For example, if you, if you don't have enough funding to actually pay whatever, whatever expenses you have for three to six months while you're getting set up, then you want to think about your worst case scenario. Well, if I don't, if I don't make enough revenue by the first month to pay my rent, what's the worst case scenario? Do I have some resources? And there are a lot of resources that are out there that, for example, if you don't come from a place of privilege where your family can loan you money, the SBA, the Small Business Association, if you're in the United States, has a lot of grants that you can apply for, a lot of low interest or no interest loans, especially if you have a business plan and you can present this business plan, you can actually qualify for a no interest loan for, or not forever, but for a year or two years. Um, and you can, you can, you can get the seed money that you need. You can think of creating creative ways that will actually be able to give you the revenue to create some sort of a cushion. When we started OMSTARS, I had the experience of there being nobody there in my yoga classes for the first year. And I didn't have an investor, nor do I come from a family of immense privilege. Definitely there are privileges in my background, but I don't come from, you know, immense privilege. My, you know, we're not, my, my, my dad was an English teacher and, you know, my mom already talked about. And um, we, I knew we needed 
needed some sort of cushion. So there was a Kickstarter that really allowed this idea to be spread into the community and the community embraced it. So in that way, I really felt like the community is behind this idea. This has value. This is useful. And that was the springboard to really have the grace to be able to continue uh, spreading this message of, you know, the spiritual path into the world. So write a business plan, make a worst case scenario. And if you see that your worst case scenario is not something you can stomach, then find the fail safes, apply for a grant, apply for a loan. Some people, and I don't recommend this, but some people that I talk to, <laughs> well, you know, get open up a bunch of credit cards to have some fail safes. And I really don't recommend that because you can very easily accumulate credit card debt. It's much more intelligent to write a business plan and seek some sort of financial backing and apply for business loans. And again, there are many structures that are out there. So if you find, particularly if you have a niche business, so if you are an individual from a particular community and you fit a particular demographic profile, there are special programs that are out there. For example, when my mom started her insurance agency, which she has her own insurance brokerage company right now, she applied for an SBA loan to be able to have the seed money to, to you know, to start. And, and, and it was a no interest loan for the first year. And then it started generating business. And then she started to be able to pay back the loan. But without that, there's no way she could have started her own business. There's a lot of paperwork that's involved in that, but it's absolutely worth it. If you think about, well, gosh, if I'm three months in and I don't have the revenue, and I'd have to close, and then you have this negative on your credit score, it'd be better to do your due diligence, write your business plan as a worst case scenario. You can write the best case also, but just keep that in the back as kind of an intention and a dream and sit with the realities of the worst case scenario and look for the funding that you'll need, the actual step-by-step path that you'll need in order to, um, well, you know, actually make it through that initial crucial period of time. And what happens if you have no idea about business? <laughs> How do you come and write a business plan? Where do you get the information? Yeah, Where can question. you look this up? How mm. can you do this? Yeah, there are a lot of resources that are available. So you don't feel like, oh gosh, I don't have an MBA. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have any, you know, family member that, you know, went to, you know, the Warden Business School. So I guess I just, uh, it's done for me. There are a lot of templates that are out there. You can find resources. You can find online resources of people that will uh, that have put things out there for free online. You can even take a remote learning course from a business school and actually get those tools that will help you be able to write your business plan. And it doesn't need to be that complex either. You can have some almost like you can ask it, treat it like a questionnaire. There are some key questions that you want, that you would have to ask yourself. So for example, identifying who's my target demographic? Who are my clients going to be? Who are my students going to be? Who are the people that are going to walk in my door? Um, what are my core values as a business? This is a really crucial thing. It's almost like soul searching when you think about, you know, oh, I want to, I want to open a spa. Okay, great. What are the core values of that spa? What's the, what's the feeling that people, you want people to have when they walk in the door? What's the feeling you want people to have when they walk out the door? And then what are the structures that will actually allow you to communicate what those values are? And we don't need to, you know, say them, you don't need to, so say your value is compassion. We don't need to have someone walk in the door and then immediately say, hi, 
I'm compassionate. Like, that's not what I mean. But once you identify your core values, you can say, this is like a questionnaire you can ask yourself, what are my core values? Or what are the business's core values? What do I want people to experience when they walk in the door? What do I want people to experience when they walk out the door? What are my, what are, um, wh who are my clients? You know, who's my target demographic? Uh, who are the type of people that I want to work here? And, you know, what type of, whether it's a, whether it's an, a front desk person, an administrative person, what, how many roles are there? So define the roles and define the type of person you want in the roles. It's treated as a questionnaire. It doesn't need to be, you know, something that you're submitting to get yourself into, you know, Harvard's MBA program. You just want to have all, everything written down. Treat it like you're doing your, your accounting for your home, every expense, write down. And if you need quotes to figure out how much things cost, then you can call the various providers, whether it's a cable provider or, you know, a power and light provider or something like that, and call them and say, how much does it cost to have electricity for a space about this big as an estimate and get an estimate? There are also a lot of estimators that are out there. But you can treat it like a questionnaire and just go point by point and then think about, and then think about how much, what's the price point that I would need to charge in order to make all of these expenses actually be able to be met and just treat it really functional. That's something that I think gets missed in the world of spirituality, in the world of, uh, in the world of wellness and business, is we get so focused on kind of the spiritual element of it that we lose sight of there's a bill that's going to have to be paid. And how am I going to pay that bill? And this costs this much for like, I remember when we were moving into um, the yoga garage, I really cared about us having some sort of non-toxic hand soap. I know this sounds completely insane, but it was extremely important for me. And I felt like we need non-toxic hand soap because we're, this is a yoga business and we can't be flushing these toxins down the drain every time somebody washes their hands and we want to wash the hands. I mean, you know, it was post-COVID, we're all washing our hands, like it's crazy. So, you know, I felt like this is really important. And in our old yoga center, we never really had a specific type of soap that was there and that the soap dispensers would break and there was, I, I hated the soap that was over there. And so I made this, this, this big stink about we need non-toxic soap. And the immediate question was, this is how much it has to cost each month. So I, I said, I will take that on. And it sounds really minute, but this is the particularities, the granular details that it takes to actually, you know, run a business to align with your core values, to really understand, well, gosh, if you think that this is something important, you're going to have to be able to action, you know, take action on that. So I researched and found a place where you can buy a bulk supply of an organic hand soap. And now we have that. <laughs> And it's in the budget as Excellent. a line item. <laughs> when I first started um, opening both businesses, there were whole hosts of things that I didn't know and that, again, a, a simple online business course can, could have really helped me. Um, even just, you know, whether it's a you know, months-long course or even it's just like a short seminar, I, I really wish I would have done something like that. Luckily, I had some private coaches that were able to walk me through things. So one thing that's really important uh, when you're creating that business plan, when you're thinking about worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, is to develop key metrics. So you, normally we, we, we call these KPIs in the world of business, so key performance indicators, or just think, like, you need to be able to measure something. So like yoga classes, how many students are in class? This is an easy metric. You can count them, but then it's not always 
as easy as that. Say you're a yoga teacher and you're like, yay, there were 20 people in my class today. Yay. Four were my high school friends and three were free classes that I gave out and five were the staff that were there. So I had five students. That's interesting. So then this is important that we really identify in, in granular detail, what are those key metrics that we're going to be evaluating? And maybe it's a number of students in class. Maybe it's the number of positive emails you receive after a class. Maybe it's, you know, um, how many, how many rental mats you get used each day or, you know, there are all sorts of things that, that you could focus on. Make sure that that performance metric that you focus on is also value aligned. Because if your performance metric is not value aligned, like bodies in class, this is a, this is something very, very useful. If your performance metric starts to be only revenue based, this is our gross revenue, this is our net revenue, and you don't have a values based metric, then unfortunately the way the mind works is we can start taking decisions based on the the monetary metric rather than the values metric. So always place the values metric higher than the monetary metric is my advice regarding the KPIs. You mentioned online classes mm -hmm. and mentors. Uh, you have a course on business coming up. Is any of this going to be included? Yeah, in absolutely. Hustle? So uh, there's a course coming up called The Spiritual Hustle, which the name is meant to be uh, slightly humorous because the idea of a hustle is something I feel that every wellness entrepreneur has faced. You know, you're in business for yourself, so you're constantly in this space of, gosh, you know, uh, let me, you know, mention I'm a yoga teacher, an esthetician, a massage therapist, I'm a coach. I do sound healing and then maybe putting that out there into the universe. And then we're constantly thinking of, you know, all of these ways that we're in some ways hustling, you know, in some ways working. So I wanted to create some tools that would be especially useful for other individuals who are bridging the gap between running a successful business, whether that business is for them individually or whether that business is creating a business structure that would employ more people. Um, and to get, give the tools to be able to better navigate the space between the spiritual path and the business world and to understand what it really means to lay the foundation for a true success that creates synergy between these two worlds and kind of maybe solve some of the questions of conflict and to address some of the questions of unworthiness that come up as spiritual practitioners and to really give people an, a, a, a mindset of success, that it is possible to be of service and be a success financially, emotionally, professionally, and personally while creating a business rooted in the spiritual path. Excellent. I'm super excited <laughs> when I take that class. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, it's the first time that I'm, I'm, I'm doing something like this and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm also a little bit nervous because I'm an abstract conceptual thinker, which means that for me, I think almost without words. Like I think in, in, in large concepts where all of the concepts exist in the space of my mind. And it's actually a, a very big effort for me to get the thoughts which exist complete in their form into a space where I can communicate them. And it's, it's, it's something that I've actually had to work with almost my entire life that I, 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 the way that I think, I think in a way that's almost non-communicable, which isn't so wonderful, but I've had to put in a lot of effort in saying, okay, I see this 
this entire structure of thoughts in an abstract conceptual form, let me bring that into a concrete conceptual form in such a way so it can better be of service for others. And, and it's also really helpful, say, in relationship, you know, to be able to talk about things that are absolutely in existence, uh, you know, uh, and actually bring those into reality rather than just having them exist out there in the ether. <laughs> So your ideas, are you going to come in a weekend, in a, in a week? Mm -hmm. How is the course structured a little bit since we have like, I think, like four minutes? Mm, okay, so the course will be structured as kind of an immersion over the weekend. So we'll do a Friday night and a Friday, like, I mean, not like night, night, but like yogi night. Um, and so like a Friday evening and then um, a Saturday and Sunday. So we can expect to have a weekend immersion. And the idea would really be to have that uh, be kind of like a full immersion into the space of, uh, you know, workshopping what it is to be in business, workshopping what it is to, what spirituality is for you and how those two intersect. And then also really giving people a lot of the granular particular tools that then they would need to take away and employ. And my goal really is that everyone leaves with actionable items that they can start to move on. Everything from how to build a professional looking social media that is simultaneously authentic and real and can achieve good results. And at the same time, how to set up, set yourself up for success in regards to time management and how to really embrace the aspects of business that people don't often really think about. Um, and so I really want everyone to leave with some actionable tools. And if there, people are running a business already, what I'd like them to feel is that their business has almost been workshopped over the weekend in a very personal way. So there'll be uh, times when I'll be asking people to reflect and think, and then, and then we'll dive into the particularities of kind of what comes up. So I really want people to feel like, oh, I've gone into almost a personal growth moment about what, business, what my business is or what my business could be. And I'm leaving with ideas that could potentially help me feel better about my business and also make my business grow and be more successful. Great. Thank you so much, Kino. Uh, do you have any uh, final words, anything else to add? Um, I think the other, the, uh, one, one extremely important thing is that, you know, um, being the founder of a business is not for everyone and that's okay. You know, the idea of how we can support business structures within the spiritual path is also something that could be beneficial. So say you're interested in the intersection of, of, of business and spirituality, but maybe you don't really feel like, oh, I want to be the founder of a business, but maybe you have like a spiritual side hustle. So for example, I have a lot of friends that teach one or two yoga classes a week. They still want those classes to be a success, but they're not going to quit their, you know, their bread and butter job. And maybe they're working for a larger company or maybe they're working for a spiritual business, but it's just not their spiritual business. There are many, many people I know like that. And I feel like this seminar could also be beneficial for people who might not have it in their, say, in their dreams to go and found a business. Not everybody needs to do that, and that's okay. And yet, the tools of the intersection between the spiritual path and business could help that individual be a better success within the structure of the organization that they're working. They may even be more successful in those spaces that they can give back into their community. So one thing that I like to, to, to leave people with is a question of, um, what is my role 
to give back to the spiritual path that I've received so much benefit from? And, and, and that's kind of a question of reflection. There are many places and ways to give back. Um, you know, it can, some people give back behind the scenes. Some people give back by being sort of in the front of the house and, and, and being very forward facing. And some people give back in ways of service that we may never even know about. And I think that's a really important thing to, to call out and acknowledge. Thank you so much, Kino. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And thank you everyone for being here. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.